My name is Greg. One of the pastors here at Redemption. And uh, how many remember what was going on a week ago today at this time? Remember what was happening outside? We were getting dumped on with snow. Remember that? Like five to eight inches of snow out there. But you know what was, I think is, well, many would say it was much more significant than the snow that was happening in Loveland, the five to eight, was the 15 to 20 inches of snow that was being dumped on the Cameron Peak Fire and the East Troublesome Fire. Amen, right? Isn't that great that God brought that? So, I don't know where you were late, you know, a week ago, maybe Wednesday or Thursday, in processing what was taking place. We had a number of people in our in our body that had properties kind of on the west side of Loveland that were being evacuated, and and there was people who had properties up in the mountains, whatever. And then this remarkable thing took place that probably many people didn't think could ever happen, and that East Troublesome Fire went over top of the Continental Divide. And if you're somebody who's been up there in the Rocky Mountain National Park, you realize there's like, there's nothing up there. You know, where was the fuel for that fire? And yet it went over top and it crested that. And it started racing down towards Estes Park. I believe God spurred in his people, hundreds and thousands of people, that maybe some of those were already praying, but there was just an urgency to pray. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And maybe you prayed as well. And then on Saturday night, the snow started to come. And God, in his grace and mercy, dumped again 15 to 20 inches on that. Didn't put it completely out, but certainly stopped that it's in its tracks. So now, I've got this question for all of you. It's a serious question I want you to ask internally, in your heart and your mind. Those 15 to 20 inches of snow... Did that come because God's people prayed? So I'm asking a serious question. I'm asking the question, do you believe prayer matters? Do you honestly believe that when God's people gather together and they pray, leading by the, having been led by the Lord to ask him, that we can change history. Do you believe that? Honestly, do you believe that? So, how you answer that question, you might be saying, I'm not sure, or I doubt that, or I just don't know how that works. But this is a conversation for those of us who believe it, because here's by, makes sense that this is the very next question that should come to all of our minds. If we believe God has invited us into that process by which we pray and he moves, then why don't we pray more? And I say we because I'm including myself in that. Why don't we pray more? So if you're paying attention to the fires, you're paying attention to the weather, there's at some point in time, maybe you do this by your phone, you look at it and you kind of go, the weather's coming, there's a forecast. And out there in the northwest, there's a storm brewing. And maybe you're going, okay, my prayer doesn't really matter because that's coming anyway. But there's this intersection between God's sovereignty and our responsibility, his call to be a part of that, 
that God's word says when we pray, we can change history. Now, I don't know how that works. I actually have a little um, a graphic up on here which kind of explains you know, very simply how this whole thing works. It's a mystery. God invites us into praying, but he's a sovereign God. And he says, I want you to pray. And for some reason, he moves. We don't quite get it. Let me show you a much easier equation that I think all of us can get. And it's this. Prayerlessness equals powerlessness. Why don't we pray more? We are wrapping up a series, The Heart of Redemption. It's been eight weeks long. We've talked about our mission, our vision. We spoke of Christ, community, and commission. And then our seven values, two each. And then finally, this one today is prayerful dependency. Let me read to you, and it's up on the screen as well, what we mean by prayerful dependency. We say this as a church. We say the Lord Jesus both modeled and taught how to be dependent upon God through prayer. Many times it is recorded that Jesus woke early to pray and to simply be with the Father. He modeled that for us. If he needed that, how much more than we? And we will strive to be a church that is dependent on God to move in our lives and the lives of those in our church family and community. We believe we need to be a church that is prayerfully dependent And as I processed this morning and and kind of all the things, the elements that we want to have in this service, I thought, you know, probably what we need more than anything is not just a theology lesson on prayer. More than just a theology lesson on how to pray and, and, and the importance of prayer. But maybe we need to be inspired to pray. And maybe what we need to do is see an example of a church that exercises, that lives out, prayer for dependence. So instead of going through some of these passages, I want us to jump to Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. And here's our main idea where we're going to go to today. And that is a prayerful dependent church experiences the power of God. Their prayers shake their world. And you'll see where I get that word shake in a moment. So if you are there, Acts chapter 4, Verse 23 starts off this way. This is when they, and this is referring to Peter and John, were released. They had been imprisoned and threatened. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, and this is a, a prayer meeting that they're having. And so we have recorded, for Luke gives us kind of the record of that prayer meeting. But we need to kind of figure out, well, what prompted them to pray? What was it that caused them to pray about what they're just about to pray? So we got to jump back to chapter 3 to see this. So if you've got your Bible, just kind of jump back to 3. We won't necessarily have all these things on the screen. But chapter 3 begins, it says, And Peter and John were going to the temple of the hour of prayer. The, the church had just been launched. They're kind of now establishing a structure because there's, there's thousands of people. And they would meet in the temple courts and in house to house. And so on one of those occasions, Peter and John are going into the temple to pray. And they walk by this guy who's lame. And he's, and he's a beggar. And he is placed there by the, by the entrance of the temple every day, every week, every month, every year. Hundreds of thousands, if not thousands of people see him and have seen him for a long period of time. And he's there. And of course, he's reaching out his hand and he's begging. And Peter and John just kind of look at him and go, you know what? 
we don't have any money. And then prompted by the Holy Spirit, Peter says, but, but I'll tell you what I got. I got Jesus. And so in the name of Jesus, stand up, rise, and walk. And he does. And he gets up. And he gets up, and he's jumping around, and he's praising God. And as you can imagine, that attracted quite an attention. And they walk into the temple, and people are gathering around. And Peter, Peter being the good disciple of Jesus, following the model of Jesus, when you attract a crowd, miles will preach. And so he launches in and he starts preaching. And he's talking about this author of life, the one whom you've killed, that God raised from the dead. And by his name, this man is now healed. And so that grabs all kinds of attention. And so we see what happens is that they're arrested because of it. In the evening, they are arrested and they spend the night in jail. And we get to chapter 4, the very next day, verse Five, it says, On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the highest priest, and Caiaphas, and the John, and the Alexander, and they bring them before them, and they say, By what right are you doing this? And they say, Stop talking about this Jesus. And they threaten them, and they threaten them, and they threaten them. But they're kind of stuck because everybody can see what happened. And they threaten them. And again, this is not an empty threat because they know what this group of people had done to Jesus already just a few months earlier. So it's not an empty threat. And that's what prompts Peter and John to go back after their release to what it says in verse 23, to their friends and reported what they had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, and listen to this prayer. I love this prayer. They say, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And listen to this, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken. They prayed in such a way they were shaking their, they were shaking their world. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I'm going to use that word shake. I'm going to take that word and kind of create an acronym out of it as a way to view what this prayer meeting looked like and the things that we can learn and grab from it. First one's very simple. The S stands for share one another's, share needs with one another. That's kind of a, kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? If you've ever been in a time where people have gathered to pray, to pray, you've said, let's share prayer requests, right? You're, you're sharing the things that, other, that you know, are upon your heart and other people are upon their hearts. They're things that are burned with, the things they're concerned with. It makes sense. That's, that's biblical. We want to share what... We're concerned about how can we pray for one another effectively if we don't know what are the big concerns of each other. So naturally, 
they went back and they, they shared what had happened to them and they began to pray about that specifically. Now, what is interesting is that it says when they were released, they went to their friends. That's in the ESV. I don't know if you, if anybody has an NIV. I asked somebody to read that last, last, um, last service, but the NIV actually says this. It says, went to their own people. Literally, that word is, went to their own. I like that a little better because it has a little more oomph to it, a little more strength to it. It went to the people that essentially they belong to and those people that belong to them. It feels like it's got a little more oomph to it than friends, doesn't it? And see, that's one of the reasons why here at Redemption we talk about community and emphasize community. Because we're a part of one body. We belong to each other. And even more so in our small group context, we belong to each other. And we need a place where we can share exactly what's going on in our hearts, the things that burden us. And other people can do that because we belong to each other. And that's exactly what takes place. They share this. And then what do they do about it? The H is hope in God. You see, we all have an opportunity when a prayer or when a concern comes, something we're burned about, what are we going to do with it? We're going to try to solve that issue on our own, kind of devise kind of like a scheme of what we're going to do. But they do what we're called to do, and that is to turn our hope to God. And they, they come to the Lord with this issue. That's our H, okay? So I'm, I'm kind of challenged by that, this idea that I'm one of those guys that kind of like tries to solve things. Anybody else one of those things? You, 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 you're kind of a guy that you kind of like, if I've got a problem, I can figure it out. I can manage this. I can think about this. Um, years ago, I had a car that was dying, and uh, things were tight budget-wise. And so I did all this research, and I figured out what kind of car I could buy. Okay? And I remember this conversation with my wife, and she says, you know what? I don't want you to settle for that. I think you could buy a better car. And I'm like, I've done the research. Sure, pray all you want to, but I know what kind of car I can get for this amount of money. We need to pray. Okay, I'll pray. So we prayed, and, of course, you know, humbled once again by my wife, I was able to find a car that was, had a discount, and it was a much better fit. And once again, my wife, who prays, taught me this great lesson, and I still love that Lamborghini. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but it's a reminder that I have this tendency to want to go and, and hope in myself. And here's a church that says, you know what? If a perfectly dependent church hopes in God and pursues God. So we got A-K-E to come. And that's the bulk of this message and the bulk of this prayer. So let's look at what these things describe. The A is this. It's where this church starts. They start with affirming the character of God. They affirm God's character, his nature, and who he is. So watch, listen to this. And said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Sovereign Lord. I challenge you to think about any New Testament prayer that begins with Sovereign Lord other than this one. It's going to be hard to find. This is a pretty rare title given to God. It only appears a couple other times. But there's a reason why that. 
think about what sovereign Lord means. It's this aspect that, God, you are above all things. In you resides the ultimate authority. Take that thought for a second. And let's go back to what previously had taken place. Remember, Peter and John, they're just guys. And they've been arrested. And there are Jewish authorities that have authority in their lives over them. Here's Peter and John. Here's the authority in their lives. And they're threatening them. And they can do things. And they say, stop talking about Jesus. If you look back at John, sorry, Acts chapter 4, verse 19, listen to what Peter and John answer to them in that threat. They say this, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They say this, there's authority in our lives. You had the authority to arrest us, and you can command us. But the reality, there's an authority that resides higher than you, the sovereign Lord. And they take that idea, and they go right over to their church, and as they pray, and this church hears about the threats coming towards the people who belong to Jesus, and the people are probably fearful. What's going to happen to us? They take that same concept and say, we need to recognize and we need to affirm that there's one who is higher than any authority. It's the sovereign Lord that we belong to. And that's where they camp out. They pray this kind of prayer. We need to remember who God is. When you've got a concern of some sort, no matter what that is, let's just say you've got an important decision to make. Maybe you're wrestling with how to handle uh, an interpersonal relationship or something with your work or something's going on and you're like, I just don't know what to do. That sticks right in here. How then do you pray? What is it that we know about who God is that fits this perfectly? It's incredibly relevant to this issue. Well, let's address God and affirm who he is. God, you're the God of all wisdom. I don't know what to do, but you do. God, you're the God who knows all things. I don't know what to do, but you do. God, you're the one who knows the end from the beginning. You know all things. God, you know the hearts and the minds of all people. You know my thought before I ever think it. You know a word that I'm going to say before it ever comes into my brain. That's who you are, God. Let's pick something else. Maybe you're wrestling with habitual sin, pride, anger, lust. What are those things about God that we need to remember? God, you're a God who is holy. You're a God who is righteous. God, you're a God who forgives, renews, restores, reconciles. You're a God who changes hearts, and I need mine changed. What if... When we prayed, we spent less time on that particular topic and more time on who God is. How that would change our perspective of this issue. 
And so they start there because it was so important to remember that despite those threats are there, we still belong and are going to trust in a God who is a sovereign Lord over all things. But then this is where they go next. They keep the word front and center. And so next they say this, verse 25. Speaking of God, you who through the mouth of, your fa- of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. And then they, they quote Psalm 2, 1 through 2. Why did the, the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. That anointed, is that's what we translate into, into Christ. They take a passage. Let's go back to our little kind of my visual diagram there. Here's the issue of authority and the threat in our lives. They take God's word and put it front and center right over top of that issue. And they say, we're, we're being asked, we've been you know, commanded not to proclaim Jesus anymore. There's a threat there. But we're going to remember something that God has already promised. And they put that thing right over top of it. Psalm 2, 1 through 2. But listen to that again. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. It's going to happen. There will be opposition coming our way. It's going to take place. We know that. But do you notice that little phrase, plot in vain? There's a reminder there from God's word. It doesn't matter that the chips fall where they may be because our God is greater. And so then, look what happens next. They have, here's the issue. They have said, this is God's word laid on top of it. And then they go, and we just saw, we just experienced how God, you were faithful in bringing about that promise. And they set that thing right on top of that as well. Look at this. For truly, this is verse 27, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate. Those are two of those guys spoken of in the previous verses, right? Kings and rulers trying to thwart the work of God and his anointed. So they came, Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do, and what did they do? Whatever, God, your hand, you, you are the sovereign Lord. So whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to, to take place. God, you have declared your word. We're going to stick that thing around on top of that issue we're dealing with. And God, you've been faithful. and We've seen that. And all of a sudden, you can't even really see that issue anymore, can you? Because the faithfulness of God and his promises. What if we prayed that way? What if we prayed... Whatever issue that we're burdened with, we're struggling with, we stuck God's word right on top of it and his faithfulness to fulfill those promises that he made. It changed the way we prayed, didn't it? It would impact the way we prayed. Let's just take one. Let's just take something that's current with us. Let's take an issue like the election. Let's start with who God is. Sovereign Lord, Daniel 2, 21. Our God is the one who sets times and seasons and he lowers kings and raises kings. I like to think of 
Herod and Pontius Pilate in this scenario. I call them, to God, they were, they were pawn one and pawn two. God's just going to move him where he wants to. So let's, let's apply that truth. Okay, can we do this? We've got an election coming on Tuesday. Pawn one, Donald Trump. Pawn two, Joe Biden. Can we acknowledge that according to God's word? Because God reigns, doesn't he? He reigns and he rules. Let's take now the God's word and put it over top of this, this issue. What do we know about the promises of God? God will build his church. The gates of hell cannot stand against him. There may be people and governments and institutions that will try to thwart the work of God, but he will do what he intends to do. We can trust in that. What are some other issues that we should place over top of that as we process? Well, there's a responsibility as us as citizens to vote, to act, to do things. There's other issues that we got to think about. we got to think about the unborn. We think about righteousness. We think about justice. All those things are a part of what we place on top in putting God's word front and center. Because ultimately, sometimes, what happens is it comes down to the E. It comes down to after we have prayed and we've processed and we've thought through and we've, lo and behold, we need to expect God to empower us and to use us. And this is what happens. After their hearts are right in understanding who God is, after they see God's word and the promises, they come to this conclusion. Just maybe, God, you want us to do something about it. To follow through and be faithful with your calling in our lives. And so it says in verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word with all boldness. It could be this. As you pray about something that you're burdened with, it could be that you're supposed to be the answer to that prayer. That God will empower you and use you in such a way to change history. Whether it's one person's history or a city's history or a world's history. It may be just continue to pray. But it might be, God, give me boldness and empower me to use me the way you want me to be. So we're going to take this format, okay? And we're going to pray as a church. Okay, we're actually going to, everybody have pray in a few minutes. But we're going to start back at the S because we're going to talk about, we're going to share some of the things that are great needs of ours, okay? And there just happens to be this one particular thing that we're going to want to present today that might prompt us to pray. So Matt, why don't you kind of come up and share with us?